Our Old Testament passage, which is also the sermon text, is from 2 Kings, chapter 5. 2 Kings is after 1 Kings. In the Old Testament, 2 Kings, chapter 5. I'll be reading down chapter 5, verse 1 to 19. We have read this recently, and we read it again. Hear now the word of the Lord. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, He sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father... It is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. We turn now to the New Testament text, which is in Matthew. I beg your pardon, it's in Mark. We have been in Matthew, but we look at Mark's account of Jesus in chapter 1, Mark 1, verse 40, Jesus cleansing a leper. Mark 1, 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. 
But he went out and began to speak freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Let us pray. O Lord, we read your word, and now, as it is expounded, may we know your blessing through your spirit, that it would penetrate to our hearts so we might live according to it. We pray, O Lord, that you would bless us in the hearing and proclamation of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it may not be obvious to you why I chose to interrupt our reading and development of the Gospel of Matthew. This is uh, what we have been doing. And um, this interruption comes because of the special occasion uh, that we are taking into membership a young woman, a young girl, uh, who will come into the communicant membership of our church at this time. And I wanted you to see a text of Scripture that warrants this kind of action. It is uh, a a very important text of Scripture showing how God is secretly at work in the lives of his people and how you see it bubbling out sometimes in their actions and in their words. Um, This is why this text is so uh, important and interesting for us, I think, is because of God's secret working You have this um, shown to us in various places in Scripture. We read about God's uh, oversight of the birth of the wild animals out in the fields and out in the mountains where you never see it, but the Lord superintends all that takes place. That's in the, like, for example, in Job. But here in Psalm 104, verse 24, We read, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. And when you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. This is the... The work of the Lord, which is manifested in creation. The Lord is in charge of what happens in creation. We call this his providence. This is his oversight, his viewing everything and directing uh, all things to take place for his glory. We actually opened our service with a call to worship, talking about us praising God for his many works. Well, that also popped up in this psalm. 104 that I just read. Now, sometimes we talk about uh, things that happen in our life and we say, well, that was providential. 
<laughs> and I always I always say that with a with a uh, slight smirk, I guess, because everything's providential. <laughs> but, but that was really providential. OK, <laughs> it just means I really like that providence is what do we really mean by that. That was a happy providence. So maybe we should just say that that was a happy providence. Uh, and, and God's providence is everywhere. Uh, and he is because he is secretly at work. And that's what we have here in our text. We have in our text God secretly at work in various people. It's quite an interesting text with a, a number of people involved. There are four main actors in our passage. People acting, I don't mean they're acting, you know, like actors. But they are, they're doing things and saying things which are uh, remarkable in their interaction. And we see that here. But you see, behind all this is God's acting. And that's, that's the thing that changes our lives is when we see that God is involved in acting in our lives. This is what he promises to do. And so we trust the Lord in his involvement in our life to do what is right. He always only does what is most good. Um, and here you do see this in particular with this fellow Naaman. So this captain of the uh, army of Syria, uh, north of Israel, who uh, were at odds with Israel. But here, notice how in uh, the opening of our text in Second Kings 5, it says the Lord gave him victory. So the Lord was superintending the career of Naaman. This is God secretly at work with the enemy of Israel, interestingly, because there's nothing outside of his control and command. This is, this is something that is uh, told to us in general in, uh, in the scripture. For example, in Proverbs chapter 16, uh, verse 9, we read, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. This is just generally true. Uh, people plan what they're going to do, but it's the Lord who directs steps. And with a commander like Naaman and the king of Syria, we read in Proverbs 21, verse 1, The king's heart is a stream of water, in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. Uh, this, this phrase, stream of water, can also be rendered canal. It's a canal that he directs and changes its flow to where he wishes. This is what the Lord does. And so with, with Naaman, the Lord had given him great victory, great wealth, great influence and power in his, uh, in his country. And he was in charge of the army. He was the, the five-star general of Syria. He was the most important general in charge of the army. And in verse 1, our translation makes it uh, not quite as stark as the original. In the original, it says, it sounds like this. Now, he was a mighty man of valor, leper. That's all you get. You just get one word. He was this mighty man of valor. All these great things. Leper. It's that stark. That is just the word leper is used. And that's, you're, you're slapped in the face 
when you read that. It's like, wait a second. He has everything going for him, leper. And this is bad. It not only is it a skin disease which is extremely uncomfortable, but it's a skin disease that brings social uh, ostracism, brings people to want to shun his presence. People don't want to touch him. They don't want to be around him. They're going to be afraid that they get this disease from him. So he has all everything going for him, leper. Interestingly, you can see by his actions with Elisha, this is a masterful guy. This is a man of great pride. It's quite interesting, isn't it? He's this man who has had everything going for him, and even his leprosy did not bring him to humility. So God used something. To bring him to humility and to bring him down, as it were, from the great height in which he found himself. Not just the leprosy. You see, God was secretly at work in his leprosy. You may think, well, that's a hard providence. Not a happy providence, it's a hard one. It was a happy providence in the end. This is the way God's good work is. It may not seem happy at the time. But for this guy, it led him to be desperate. This, this Naaman could have lived his life without leprosy. He could have lived his life at the height of all of his power and just gone on rejecting the God who created him and ended up in uh, standing before the judgment seat of God to render an account. And he would have no excuse. But instead, God gave him leprosy. This was his mercy. This was a merciful, hard providence. Sometimes we get hard providences. But for those who belong to the Lord, He only does what is most good. In this case, we see this work out. Now, you also find, because of his desperation, he goes to his king and asks the king of Syria to let him go to Israel, their enemy. You know, you think about it. This, this guy has been conducting raids in Israel. And now he's going to go to the king of Israel and ask a big favor. How, how do you think that's going to turn out? <laughs> he shows up without a lot of army behind him. The king of Israel is going to come up. Come up uh, at him with an army and, and say, great, we can take this guy in and either hold him for ransom or just kill him. Um, so it's a kind of, it's, it's a, uh, it's a thing that led this Naaman to a humble position. So he asked for help from his king and then king says, well, I will write a letter. And what a letter it is. Uh, he, he writes to the king of Israel and says, you heal him. <laughs> You take care of this. And I'm, you know, I'm asking you to do this. And in other words, behind this is, you take care of this or I won't come against you with an army. Uh, because the king of Syria at that time was a lot more powerful than Israel. So, uh, you can see all this going on. This politics is a clear undercurrent of our text. It's amazing how in such a short text we have so much going on. 
And the tension rises now when the king of Israel reads this letter. And notice that God here is at work in the king of Israel to judge. With Naaman, he was at work to save him with hard providence. With the king of Israel, he's here to judge him. Elisha's ministry is a sign against the unbelief of this king. Now, we don't know exactly what king this is. It it just says the king of Israel. But it's probably Jehoram who appears, if you want to read about him, in 2 Kings 3. Jehoram is the son of Ahab and Jezebel. Just saying those names should let you know what he was like. And he walked in the sin of his father and mother, uh, not exactly in every way, but he had rejected the worship of the Lord. And the Lord uh, was working in Jehoram so that he would see the glory of the Lord in his working. And Jehoram should have known how to lead Naaman to healing. He should have known that there was a prophet in his midst whom he could appeal to because Elisha had already been active in Israel. He was known. Notice this girl knows about him. But the king of Israel doesn't, apparently. He doesn't give a thought to uh, Elisha in all of this. It doesn't enter his mind. And it's for God's judgment that the king of Israel responds the way he does. His heart is hardened. But then the Lord has also been active already in the life of his people. This is the third thing. Active in the life of Naaman to save him. The life of the king of Israel for judgment. And now we have a hard providence of really the hardest kind. And that's this little girl. I want you to think about this. Our text says it very uh, matter-of-factly. It says the Syrians conducted raids and they carried off this little girl and took her back and she's in the service of the wife of Naaman. Now, I want you to think about what that really means. Probably means her parents were killed and all of her family. That's what, this is the ancient world. So they conduct a raid and they grab the girl and take her back. But it probably means her, her family's dead, killed by Naaman and his troops on this raid. That's probable. Can't say for sure, but it's probable. And, then, and think about what she could have done. She could have hardened her heart. She could have blamed God for this in such a way that she never wanted anything more to do with the representative of God and his people. This is this is this happens to people at a young age. And it could have happened. This is why we have to guard our hearts in light of God's working, because we don't know her name yet. But this little girl is the real heroine of this story. She's the one who displays to us love of neighbor as herself. She says to her mistress, Oh, that my master... Notice that she acknowledges 
Naaman as her master. Oh, that my master would go to the prophet in Israel because he can heal him. She knows. The king of Israel doesn't know, but she knows that this prophet can heal a leper. Hasn't been done yet, ever, in the, in the Bible. We haven't seen it happen by prophets yet. But she knows that it can happen. She's been given insight in her believing heart of this child. Her belief in the God of Israel is manifested by her words here. By loving her neighbor as herself. Loving her enemy, even. That's what, that's what this is. This man who has taken her captive. She loves with this love which is supernatural in its character. This is a love born out of faith. This is, this is why we know she believed in the Lord. We know by her works. I beg your pardon, her words. Her actions, but her words in particular. She is confessing faith in the Lord right here. And she has lived through Proverbs 17.3. A good memory verse for us. The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold. But the Lord tests the hearts. Her heart had been tested. She had been through the crucible and the furnace. And she had come out pure. Her faith had been refined. It's the faith of a little girl. That's real. And it survives in ways that would, would put some of us to shame who've lived longer lives and should know better. This is, this is what you see in the text of Scripture, God's providence guiding and refining even this little girl who's not bitter and, ven- and vengeful. And this is what God is pleased to do, brothers and sisters. He's pleased to use the weak people of the world to shame the strong. That's God. That's our Lord. You think about the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not come with great pomp and an army behind Him like Naaman. And he died on the cross, this shameful death, in apparent weakness. And he overthrew all the strongholds of the world. All the, all the spiritual forces of darkness were defeated on the cross. This great hero died this shameful death in apparent weakness. And it was such great strength. This is what God is like. He uses People of the world who don't have a lot of flash and pomp and power. Even a little girl. And this is what's happening here. Christ is being proclaimed. Elisha points us to Christ. This is why when we read in Mark and Matthew and Luke about the healing of a leper, we should think back to the only other time you really have a cleansing of a leper. There's only two. There's the one that Jesus did in the Gospels, and then there's Naaman. And they're lined up for us. You read the Bible as an unfolding story. And these two are lined up for us. That Elisha is paving the way, showing God's desire to bring cleansing to those who are fouled with that disease. Representing sin. He has 
He has determined to use the weak things of the world to shame the strong and to bring healing and salvation to His people. We read about this in 1 Peter, for example. Let me read this for you. 1 Peter 2, verse 20 to 24. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it if you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Brothers and sisters, that's what this girl did. She suffered unjustly and endured it. She exemplified what Peter teaches us to do. Why? Because Christ is our great shepherd in suffering. He leads the way so that it now has meaning. If you suffer in this world as a Christian, it has meaning. It's not just some random chance event, atoms clashing together thoughtlessly in a random universe. It is God secretly at work for your good. For God causes all things to work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For His people who trust themselves to Him. And notice what it says. He works all... That's Romans 8. He works all things together for good. It doesn't say for our ease and comfort. For our wealth. For our prosperity in this world. Because the prosperity He has for us, brothers and sisters... It's far more than you can imagine in this world. It's in a new creation where you have glory and honor and praise from your Father. Well done, good and faithful servant. And you say, when did I do anything good? When you told that Naaman, oh, that he would go to the prophet in Israel and be cleansed. That's when you did good. When you testified to my name, you did what was right. You suffered rightly. And you followed your Savior all the way through a really hard situation. And you made a good testimony into the day. Well done. Good and faithful daughter. For you have come before me as my little lamb.